0: business leaders, and apply their wisdom to your life and business. For those of you who don't know, Brent Freeman is a passionate, serial social entrepreneur of multiple six and seven figure companies on a mission to generate profits hand over fist and social impact hand in hand. Brent founded and serves as president of Stealth Venture Labs since 2014. Stealth Venture Labs is an elite team of digital marketers who crack the code on customer acquisition for e-commerce brands, especially subscription brands. With talent from companies like Facebook, Thrive Market, Just Fab, Retention Science, and Uber, Stealth Venture Labs operates 100% remotely and considers itself an anti-agency that aligns with your PNL goals and helps you connect the acquisition dots across the omni-channel funnel. In the past five years alone, Stealth Venture Labs has generated over 500 million in recurring revenue for its brand partners and manages over a million dollars per month in media spend. Brent's passion extends even further, though, as he launched the nonprofit SVL Microfund to provide startup loans to young entrepreneurs in the US from disadvantaged backgrounds. And in fact, in the chat we were just having beforehand, Brent mentioned that there's a mentorship program that's launching along with it, which is just so incredible and so exciting. And I also want to add just one other thing. And there's so much more that I wish I could even include in the bio. One thing I wanted to add as well is that Brent was appointed knighthood and invited to join the Italian royal family, House of Savoy in 2020, in recognition of his decades of dedication to social enterprise. I really cannot rave enough about Brent, and I can't wait to dive into it. Before we dive in, I wanted to share that the Business Couch with Dr. Yishai is brought to you by Adaptability Coaching and Consulting. If you lead a seven-plus-figure business and want to reach the next level for yourself and your business, if you have passions, goals, and dreams and want to continue to strive as a team, a leader, and a visionary without risking burnout, if you have overcome challenges, developed wisdom, and know that adapting is not just for surviving but a core part of thriving, then Adaptability Coaching is for you. With psychology and neuroscience backed tools, the 3D adaptation framework can show you how to tap into and harness the way our brains are uniquely designed for adaptation. You can learn to harness and leverage adaptability tools and frameworks to grow yourself and your company. You can learn to become fast, flexible, and formidable. You can learn to hone yourself further, to proactively adapt, to thrive instead of reactively adapting, just to survive. To learn more, go to dryishaicom slash coaching. My Insight Sunday conversation with Brent Freeman is so packed and so full of so many incredible value bombs that I just had to share it with you in two parts. In part one, Brent shares his story of becoming inspired to be an entrepreneur and what sparked his passion for social entrepreneurship. We talk about the mindset of social entrepreneurship as an inside-out process and how he creates the culture of caring as a leader, as well as how all of those things contribute in such an important and powerful way to his success with Stealth Venture Labs. And now, without further ado, please join me in welcoming Brent Freeman. Welcome, Brent.
1: Thank you, Dr. Gishan. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, of course. I am so excited. I want to thank you for grabbing a seat with me on the business couch today. And just by way of intro on Insight Sunday, we dive into the minds of entrepreneurs and business leaders to uncover insights into how your mind works and extract tangible takeaways to learn from and implement. But I really just wanted to start with your journey. Can you share about your journey into social entrepreneurship and how you embody that mission through Stealth Venture Labs?
1: Yeah, so my journey through social entrepreneurship really was my kind of journey of rediscovering who I am and what makes me tick. It's a story of kind of pendulum swinging. I wasn't the entrepreneur growing up that had the lemonade stand or the lawn mowing business or the babysitting business. That wasn't me. My only dream and goal in life was to go to Italy, learn Italian, and meet my Italian relatives. And I really resonated with that part of my heritage. And so when I went to college and got the opportunity to go and study abroad in Florence, I did all of those things. I learned Italian. I wrote a letter to my family in Sardinia that I had an address on from 1970s and reconnected with them and had a really amazing professor in Florence that sparked my entrepreneurial passions. And when I came back from Italy and I was a senior in college at that point, I said to myself, well, I've accomplished my lifelong dream at the age of 21 at that point, what's next? And The entrepreneurial spark began and I was going to USC and USC is a very expensive school. And I was came from a middle income, a middle, you know, upper middle-class family, but I still had to take out a ton of student loans in order to pay for my way. And I was facing down graduation with about 200 plus thousand dollars of student loan debt. And so this entrepreneurial spark with this huge debt said, well, Crap! How do I make as much money as fast as possible to try to pay this off? And my co-president of the Entrepreneur Club came to me and said, "You know, hey, I worked for my uncle last summer, and we were doing this import-export commodities work for the construction boom in Dubai, sourcing lumber from the United States, and I made a hundred grand." I said, "Well, tell me more. <laughs> That's interesting." And so the more I dived into it, and the more that I researched it, and the more that we talked, we talked as we all decided to form a company together between LA and Dubai, a commodities import-export trading firm age of 22. I had no idea what I was doing. And this is a highly incumbent, high barriers to entry industry that we were jumping into. And we chased the money. And for a couple of years, we really, really worked our butts off to just make the money as fast as possible. And when we finally closed a $10 million deal, I was about 22, 23 in Dubai. I remember being so excited the day that we did it. And we had a big celebration dinner. And then the next morning, I woke up and I remember this feeling of waking up, feeling hollow inside. And it was my first realization that the things in life that matter are not just money-based. Now, is important. If you don't have money, obviously, it's a big problem. But there is a point of diminishing returns. where just chasing it for its own sake and thinking that just making money will bring you happiness and joy. It was a falsehood. And so at a very young age, I realized that I was not motivated solely by money and that money wasn't the be-all end-all. It is very important and having financial freedom does bring happiness, of course. But I didn't have that same sense of fulfillment that I had when I went to Italy. Mm-hmm. And so the world works in mysterious ways and the universe provides, as they say, the global financial crisis hit and what was tens of millions became millions became tens of thousands and that business failed. Um, mm-hmm. And I walked away with you know about 50 grand in my pocket and the opportunity to reinvent myself and take the learnings of that industry and the learnings of what I saw around me of all the people in that industry that had the big fancy yachts and planes and buildings and houses and villas and you name it. But they were just some of the most miserable humans in the world and they weren't doing good by the world, by their families or for themselves. And I said, that's not me. That's not my path. And so that business feeling was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it set me down a path to say... I'm an entrepreneur, but I want to do it in a way that makes money and gives back. And not just kind of the old philanthropic model of the Rockefeller way of make as much money as you can. And then once you have the money, give back. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that wasn't what I was drawn to. I was drawn to how do we embed cause into our cogs, right? Mm -hmm. It's a good sold. And that was around 2009, 2010. And I haven't looked back. And so everything I've done since then with moderate degrees of success and much more failure has been focused on how do we embed social good into the DNA of our business model. So as we grow for profit, so does our social impact.
0: Yeah, thank you. There's so many pieces in there and I was so excited to dig into them. I want to say I'm already hearing you talk about failure, learning experiences, lessons from them. And that's the kind of stuff that we can dive into and we'll hopefully get to dive into even more on Story Tuesday. I did want to come back and ask, how does that show up for you in Venture Labs, the social entrepreneurship, that mission? In what way does that show up in your own business, in your leadership, and perhaps with your clients? I would really like to hear a little bit more about that and what that mindset is. How does that mindset work and how do you make it work for you?
1: So at Stealth Venture Labs, what I realized very early is that social entrepreneurship isn't just about embedding cause into your cogs, meaning like a buy one, give one, like a Tom Shoes model. It is also very much about how you treat and interact with your team members, the world around you, your clients, and such. And so from the beginning, from the inception of this business, it's been about seven years now, my focus was number one on making this one of the best places to work in the world that takes care of their team and puts our team first as priority because we spend more time with our colleagues at work every day than we do with our own families. And so we made a decision early on. We're not venture-backed. It's been bootstrapped from the beginning, self-funded. We had the decision from the beginning to do things like cover 100% of health, vision, and dental for our team members and their dependents and their families, and not HMO, but the best PPO that money can buy. And when we did that, we were told by so many people that it would be unsustainable, it's not feasible, we're dreaming, we're crazy, all the different things. And for me, I said, you know, there's no way a team member can show up to work and focus on what they need to do if they're worried about how they're going to pay bills, their family, if they have to make a decision between getting the best health care for them or their family and not. And so in this venture, very much we've put energy into the social enterprise aspect from the inside out. The DNA is how we treat and take care of our team with things like that then ripple effects into all sorts of stuff. You've heard of in personal life, the five languages of love. Well, they have something called the five appreciation languages in the workplace. And so what we do is when everybody gets hired, they take a quiz and their quiz pops out. What is their primary and secondary appreciation language, as well as some tips and tricks of how they can feel appreciated. And then we take that and we put it into a matrix, a little bit of a spreadsheet for everyone to see and share with the whole company. So everybody can understand how to recognize and appreciate their fellow team member in a way that makes them feel appreciated or loved in the workplace. Mm. And so we started implementing practices like this from the beginning to say, how do we make this a spot where people love to work and it's the best job they've ever had? And so now we take our team member satisfaction, we call it TSAT, Pulse every week. And it's a one of 10, you know, and there's a lot of different scores that go into it and suggestions, but it's basically, we get a score. How are people feeling? One out of 10. And we average 9.5 right? In this company, how likely would they be to suggest this to a friend and 9.5 out of 10 is just unheard of in the workplace. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, Yeah. So these are the types of things that we've been doing. And we've also been remote first for almost six years now. We had about a year in the office and then decided to go remote. And that was also a decision to help people take the two to 300 hours a year that they spend commuting and be able to reinvest it back into their own lives. And uh, to their families, and the things that make them smile and bring them joy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a very intentional decision. And it was also one of those decisions that is not just good for our team, but it's good for the business because now we're not geofenced by having to be in San Francisco, or LA, mm-hmm. or New York. We can source talent anywhere, and people who live in those major metropolitans can then move to other cities and get some life arbitrage. And so these are the kind of like the corporate things that we do from the inside out that we believe help us make an impact and the difference in the world, because you'll know this as well as I do, is that when our bodies are in constant fight or flight about work and we are in high beta brainwaves and we are releasing cortisol constantly into our system. I mean, every animal can handle a moderate amount of stress for a short period of time, but when we're operating in chronic stress over a long period of time, it causes disease in our body. And so Mm -hmm. we've approached the work environment to say, you know, you work 40 to 45 hours a week. If you're working more than that, we are either understaffed or we have a broken process. Your nights and weekends are for you. Do not check your emails. Do not check your slacks, right? Mm -hmm. And if we are finding ourselves moving outside of that, we look at it as we have a broken process that needs to be trash compacted, right? And we need to make sure that we create new systems in there so we can create that more work-life balance where people are not getting the Sunday scaries, where they are not waking up in the middle of the night responding to emails. And so those are some of the inside-out things that we do. And then from the outside in, the things that we also do is we start businesses, e-commerce companies in stealth. We incubate and launch them that build in social good elements. Like we have a pasta business, a live stream pasta making class with grandmas in Italy called Nona Live. And we take 80 plus year old grandmothers in Italy and their grandkids and we live stream uh, classes on Zoom. Started in COVID of how to make pasta from scratch. And it's like a live stream cooking class. And it's a really fun class, but we donate a meal for every class that we sell. And so that's one another example. And then lastly, I've just launched our own nonprofit under our Stealth Impact Lab. It's a microfinance fund. And we are teaching the fundamentals of e-commerce and digital marketing to inner-city teenagers here in the U.S helping them break the cycle of poverty and giving them hope and opportunity as well as with a $5,000 grant to start their own Shopify stores and walking them through a series of mentorships and online academy programs that we've put together to help these young aspiring entrepreneurs launch their businesses.
0: Yeah, there's so much there. I've been actually taking so many notes and trying so hard to hold on to it. There's just so much there. There are a couple of points I really wanted to draw out and I heard them. and I think it's so beautiful. One is that social entrepreneurship is not just outside in, it's inside out. Yeah. And you are that way in your company. So you think about it as if you want, if we want, and if somebody is a social entrepreneur wants to make a social impact, the first people you impact are the people who come into your business and yeah. who work there. And just the things that you named that you cover hundred percent medical, dental vision, not just for your employees, but for their whole families, right? What that creates is a sense of safety, a net that you're caring for them, that you care about them. It also takes a lot of those concerns or worries off of their plate. And another thing that you talked about is that chronic stress, right? The concept of psychological safety has become a lot more understood or well understood, especially in the entrepreneurship and in the leadership space that when we experience the workplace or parts of our lives as really elevating our stress level or our concern level that we're worried, afraid, and we don't feel safe, whether it's having interactions or it's, you know, being able to go to a doctor or the financial cost of those things, because there's a lot of different kinds of safety. When we don't have that, it creates an environment where we actually pull back and withdraw and, That's such an important point. And it's something that I clearly see. And as you're expressing it, right, that you at Self-Venture Labs work so hard to cultivate a space where those things are taken care of. And what that does, it allows us to relax. And when we're relaxed, we are much freer. We're also more engaged because we have that opportunity and ability to be more engaged instead of my brain being constantly pulled to, can I afford to, should I, you know, is it better not to go to the doctor instead of they say, oh no, I can go to the doctor, for example, with the remote as well. I don't need to worry about commuting it, taking more time. It's just, I'll make the appointment with my doctor. I'll go, I'll come back. And the only amount of time is just that time. And as long as I'm getting my work done, and even if I can't do hundred percent or I'm not hundred percent, it's more than okay. To take that time to take care of myself. That's the culture you're creating. Yeah. And it, it creates a culture, right? I mean, talk about leadership, right? That's the way that you communicate and show people that this is what's important. We do this for you. And then I love the second layer. And the second level of this is with Gary Chapman's languages, languages of appreciation in the workplace, which is a more recent part of his work. And it used to be, and the original work was the love languages that the idea is help people understand. How do I feel appreciated? And then what I love that you do, you take it two steps further. And I hear this all the time. You're just taking it two steps further in everything that you're doing in creating this environment. The two steps further are, let's put it all together in a matrix. Let's put it all together and share it with everybody. And when somebody experiences and wants to, or feels the impulse to feel appreciation, let's direct them to go there